Hello and welcome to the Special Select Interagency Coordination Joint Committee on Solving the Homelessness Crisis. Excuse me, Chair. I have here a 15-page report from the Council on Coordination and Administration that recommends us the term that we should be using ought to be houseless. Actually, I read a Substack article which has been peer-reviewed by the DEI Committee in the U.S. Census Bureau, and they use the term unhoused. Did you read the tweet thread I sent you on this? Uh, well, I have a memo no, dude, from our community outreach office that asks us to refer to them bring as in people a who lack a house. Article well, since we're apparently just throwing words around in Greece, they call them roofless. So why don't we just throw that into the convo as well? Order! I think what we need to do has become clear. We reconvene this meeting when we have decided on the correct verbiage, which will be decided by the special select subcommittee meant to address this issue, to give ourselves adequate time to nominate the subcommittee members, gather public feedback, review the feedback, have a public comment period on this review, review the feedback from that public comment period, and vote. This committee will meet again in nine months' time. Fantastic. Meeting adjourned. Parody. So amusing because it's so near the truth. Anyway, you're actually listening to Greater Greater Portland on Portland Radio Project 99.1 FM. I'm Xavier D. Stickler. Hello, I'm Bradley Bondi. Hey, I'm Jenna Demmel. And today we're talking about the issue that definitely fosters the least amount of passion from Portlanders and only the most decisive and timely action from its leaders, the homelessness crisis. <laughs> yeah, so as was pointed out in our cold open, there is quite a bit of discourse around the exact verbiage that ought to be used to describe the situation that is collectively referred to as, well, the homelessness crisis. And really, it's no one thing. It's people living in tents, in RVs, couch surfing, people living in shelters, um, having housing unaffordability issues, and the nexus of all that with social services, human tragedy, and loss of life, and addiction. Yeah, there's several different terms that different communities, groups, agencies, and people affected by living without stable housing use, and I guess we're sympathetic to the rationale behind each of them. Some prefer houseless because their tent, um, their campers, their sheds are functionally their homes. That's where you know they belong, that's their space. A lot of advocates use this term um, houseless under the notion that it will help uh, other people respect those spaces as someone's home. Yeah, but also a lot of homeless people don't want to live on the street and don't really like conceiving of a tent as their home or where they belong. So given all that, we're going to use all these terms interchangeably throughout this episode and future episodes in the series. This is going to be the first episode in a series on homelessness, housing, addiction, and mental health that we're going to be doing here at Greater Greater Portland. While we generally aim to focus on things like sustainability, transportation infrastructure, and the ways that connects with urbanism, it's really hard to have a comprehensive discussion about even those topics without addressing homelessness. So before we get into the series, we're going to start with an introduction on where everyone's mood currently is, and the prevailing dominant narratives that exist within the discourse. As we move forward, we'll break them down. Some have a lot more factual basis, relevance, and humanity than others, 
And I think even before we do that, we need to back up and throw some statistics at you. Coming at you with those statistics. There are approximately over 5,000 people who are homeless in Portland. And uh, this is largely believed and accepted to be a major undercount as it doesn't adequately incorporate the number of people who are housing insecure, couch surfing, like all the other housing things on the spectrum that we mentioned before. The, there are some moments where, like, say you are one person and you're sleeping on the pavement, then you go to a tent, a pod, shelter, car, RV, shelter, couch surfing, hoteling, and then you're a part of a group of too many people crammed in a room. So it's ever-changing and, uh, well, nebulous. So when did homelessness increase so much? Because it feels like a fairly recent thing. It's always been in the background, but it really feels pretty recent that it's shot up the way it has. Based upon the statistics, we saw a huge increase when rents were spiking very dramatically around 2014 and afterwards. But I think you also saw a large increase in the visibility of it with the pandemic. And I think that's for several reasons. One, um, people lost a lot of jobs. Uh, inflation allowed rent to shoot up. Uh, you had a mental health crisis uh, with a lot of people self-medicating. And um, I also think you saw an increase because couch surfing situations, which were like very common, especially young, younger housing unstable people, uh, became untenable with the pandemic. Uh, I also think it's key that like houselessness became a lot more visible due to like uh, the Multnomah County jail system being unable to organize inmate crews to clean the sides of the roads. So I think it's partially like the reason why people feel it's such an acute problem is not so much that the numbers have shot up, that's part of it, but it's also the visibility of it has increased as well. Jumping off of that, there are only approximately, uh, this is the exact number, 1,365 shelter beds available um, out of the roughly 5,000 unhoused individuals. So you see many people living in tents, vehicles, or on sidewalks across the city. But because of that disparity in shelter beds and the unhoused, um, that's why it's more visible due to a lack of shelter availability for those in need. Um, and if you compare like other high rent places with similar high rates of homelessness, we we have more visible homelessness overall because like, for example, New York City has the highest rate of homelessness in the nation, but it still has much fewer people sleeping on the street relative to its population. So I'm going to transition us into talking about the different perspectives that exist within Portland about the homelessness crisis. Um, we're starting with this because uh, I think it's a little easy to get caught in an echo chamber depending on what media you're consuming and the fact that so much of the conversation is people speaking past each other. I don't mean to sound like an enlightened centrist about this, uh, and I'm not going to say that each of these perspectives have a kernel of truth in them because as we'll see some are functionally like disproven but i will say this i think pretty much everyone who thinks these different perspectives um has an understandable and valid reason for believing them and certainly valid reasons to be frustrated uh, there are also institutional factors that are the cause of why people feel this way and oftentimes these institutions, like local news, have a real estate interest involved in them. In the case of K2 here in Portland, it's a division of Sinclair, uh, which is like a national conglomerate of quote-unquote local news agencies that are really just like a front for a large like neoconservative conglomerate. 
Additionally, as we'll get into, there's a very passionate section of the city that's extremely dedicated to what often people feel is tone policing and crying for more compassion for the homeless. We'll get more into why that is later and the effectivity of that, but I think I understand certainly the necessity of it, especially when we break down how vitriolic some of these perspectives can be, actually. Yeah, people have a lot of feelings. So to start, one of the like largest and most common narratives that we saw when researching with this was that the main like crisis of homelessness is the result of like um, homeless people taking advantage of the system. And it, it's kind of like in line with this larger like neoliberal uh, narrative going back to the Reagan administration that um, people, if you like, give them the opportunity to become dependent on the government, will become dependent. You see this a lot with the narrative around like there's a certain segment of the homeless population which are quote unquote service resistant and prefer to be outside. Um, I think a lot of the discourse in this perspective has to do with like homeless people do not want to be of a, a part of a society, and if they don't want to be part of a society, then we should not like use societal resources to support them, which I guess makes sense. It's basically, I've like seen a couple times people proposing, we need to give them like some place in the wilderness to do escape from Manhattan type stuff. <laughs> some more of the evidence that people with this perspective use is this is a very common news story that's gone around. It's kind of hard to parse whether or not it's like as much of a thing that it's presented in the media as, but it's this idea of, um, people going and using food stamps to buy, like, bottles of water. Wait, what is this? Wait, explain this. I've never heard of this. Yeah, so it's this idea that people are going and buying, like, crates of water with their food stamp card and then dumping the water out and then returning the bottles to get the deposit in cash, which they can then use to buy drugs because you obviously cannot buy drugs with food stamps. Yeah, this actually got into a British tabloid even. Uh, the Daily Mail ran with this. The headline was, shocking video shows how drug addicts in Portland are emptying whole pallets of water, bought with food stamps just to recycle the plastic bottles for $2.40 to buy cheap fentanyl. Well, we made it across the pond, guys. <laughs> we did yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> um, friend, friend of the pod and noted credible journalistic institution, The Mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is not true. This is not true. Not a sponsor. Anyway. Uh, at the same time, like, this is something that has happened and people have been interviewed doing. And kind of similar to that perspective is that this is an issue of the weak character of Portland leadership. Uh, this is the view that homeless people congregate here because liberal leaders are soft and enable bad habits. And that if we police them more and created a less welcoming environment, that would reduce homelessness. Uh, they these folks believe that homeless people flock here because of our compassion. If you ever like look up on Twitter or Reddit, uh, don't go on either website, by the way. But if you ever look at them um, and look at anything about uh, District Attorney Mike Schmidt, 
it will be filled with comments raving about how he's soft on criminals and drug addicts. Yeah, frankly, it makes my stomach hurt every time I see it, but that's another story for another day. And one of the key pieces of evidence folks use to support this uh, perspective is that it's mostly liberal cities that have a homeless issue. Hmm. Yeah, it's this underlying like belief that homeless people would despawn or at the very least move somewhere else if we were meaner to them. Yeah, and sort of tying into that when I guess logic fails certain people, they're like, there is conspiracy afoot and homeless folk are getting bust here from other cities or states. Um, like I think California was one that people supposed. I also think this goes back to the like, Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country about the Rajneeshis oh, in yeah. Wasco County. Yep. Yeah, because that was that was like a real historical event that happened where the Rajneeshi cult in Eastern Oregon bust in uh, what were at the time called street people from like major cities to try and like sway the Wasco County election. So there is that there is evidence of like this happening historically. I also think it's important to point out though, and as we'll get like into more detail in later episodes we bus people to other cities all the time like like cities sending people via buses to other cities is very common and almost all of them are doing it because it's like a houseless person has said i have family in this city who i think can help me get back on my feet that's like the vast majority of what that is yeah, and another component is of there being a conspiracy afoot. The nonprofit industrial complex and they're conspiring to keep homeless people thriving to make more money, which uh, there's all kinds of reasons why that's not true. <laughs> On the left wing, a common perspective of many is that homelessness is caused by neoliberalism and the greed of developers. Uh, they believe that City Hall and the liberal establishment could solve this if they wanted to, but that they, they choose not to because it'd be less profitable for developers, landlords, and other moneyed interests. One common saying among many Portland leftists is that there are more empty homes than there are homeless people, and that landlords and developers purposefully keep homes empty because it allows them to charge more in rent or have a higher asking price for other homes that they own and it's like a corollary to that there's also a belief that like while homelessness does have like a core underpinning in the structure of like our economy and like global capitalist society i think like another common feeling among the left is that like home there's a echelon of people at the like higher end of the socioeconomic stratosphere and that they believe that like homelessness is a good thing because it like reminds the serfdom to never stop grinding. Oh, ick. <laughs> yeah, this like reminder, uh, this reminder that like you could be homeless and that you should keep working like has value. And so like homelessness is like this big like psychological mass manipulation that's being intentionally uh, perpetuated. Again, I think we need to give credence to the fact that like homelessness does have a foundation in that you either in our society like have to slave away or you get to be homeless. However, I think like there are very few people who actually do believe that like homelessness has a purpose in keeping social order. Like these people with this perspective definitely do exist. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you will not find them at like the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. You will find them in like Elon Musk's like Twitter reply guys and like <laughs> dumb 23 year olds in like MBA programs at Portland State. Oh, like these, these are not the movers and shakers of our society. Mm, yeah, my my ick sentiment is still there. <laughs> yeah, the final perspective we want to bring up is that homelessness is mostly caused by a shortage of homes. Uh, people who hold this view believe that it's the lack of home building which has driven up rents, which has caused homelessness. Uh, evidence for this that they'll cite is rates of homelessness in a metro area, at least in the United States, strongly correlates with the cost of rent. Uh, cities with high rents have high rates of homelessness. And more affordable cities, like those in the South and Midwest, have far lower rates of homelessness than cities like Portland. Yeah, and going back to the your like the graphic of unaffordability increasing and homelessness increasing reminds me of like that office meme where it's like, this and this, they're the same picture. Yeah, corporate needs to find, uh, like, you need to, corporate needs you to find the difference between these two photos, and they're the same photo. <laughs> they're the same yeah, photo. Are, housing unaffordability and homelessness, like, are the same graph. Yep. All of these different perspectives have caused a little thing. It's a little something called compassion fatigue. And uh, in psychology, compassion fatigue comes from helping others. You want to keep helping, but you're overwhelmed from being exposed to secondary trauma, which is the trauma of others. Uh, And then you feel helpless, hopeless, and powerless. And then you feel anger towards the events um, or people causing all of the suffering. And that has led to a lot of frustration in varying degrees, which is completely understandable. But as far as like whether these frustrations are founded, um, yeah, what do you guys think about that? Well, people in the Portland region have shown willingness to fund solutions to this. Uh, we passed a couple big uh, homeless services measures in the last few years. But in that time, we haven't seen anything get, get better. Uh, obviously, that's going to frustrate people. Especially because I think when growing up in Portland and Oregon, maybe more generally, so much of your conception about like what makes this region unique is its greenery. Uh, it's kind of quote unquote natural beauty. So when you see that visually disturbed, um, I, th- I think that's very upsetting. Uh, I also think like the amount of interactions Portlanders are having with the unhoused has gone up and the types of interactions are changing a little bit. But I think it's important to contextualize that we are talking about people's lives here. Uh, we don't want to create a framework that puts like housed people's comfort on par with the importance of people's lives. Um, and that is kind of the conversation that this does oftentimes devolve into. Uh, I think a tweets that represents this well is like, you housed person are not the victim of homelessness. You housed person are not the victim. Sorry, I just had to do that. <laughs> um, However, that tagline from leftists shuts down the conversation and doesn't bring who we need into the dialogue, which is everyone. Yeah, and not to mention, um, this is something that's also been bothering me about uh, the discussion and the discourse. Um, There are real problems that go beyond people's comfort. There's a real threat of violence to retail employees. uh, As you were just talking about, Xavier, the ruining of the green public space. 
And then there's also plenty of posts I see on Nextdoor and just news articles about parents not wanting to take their children to parks because of needles. Riding the Max is also risky now because there isn't a driver to intervene, whereas there is on the bus. Um, when things get rough, um, the list goes on. Yeah, I mean, people want to feel safe. Chastising them for wanting to feel safe isn't a good path forward. It's not going to create a successful movement to solve this. And progressives have been left holding the bag here, which I don't think is fair or accurate, as we'll get into more in later episodes. But I can absolutely see how people have arrived at that conclusion. So, like, Portland used to be, like, fairly clean and orderly. Uh, I would say, m like, more so than your average U.S. city, uh, especially during our, like, boomtown years of, like, 2010 to 2016. Uh, bordered up places were, I would say, like, fairly very unusual, like, especially Hawthorne was, like, always clean. But then, as you kind of saw with the election of Donald Trump, you start to see this increase in property destruction roughly around 2016 with bouts of unrest, but not anything super worst until post-2020. At the same time that protests were starting to die off, we really started to see a lot of people getting caught and arrested, high on meth, smashing windows, throwing bricks at stuff, assaulting people. And so, but it's kind of understandable that a lot of the smashed windows and boarded up businesses that people see, they kind of still associate with the protests of 2020 because there wasn't really ever a gap in the property crime. Yeah, it kind of transitioned from being one thing to, to the other. It went from like leftist frustration around policing that slowly died away and it became more of a manifestation of the drug crisis. Uh, but it still like very, like plays well into the narrative that like Black Lives Matter created like a, a like a, the normalization of violence and property destruction. Um, even though like, crime is way better than it was in the 1970s, it is still up. And that like coincides perfectly with this idea that like the police were def defunded. At the same time, and I don't want to both sides it here, but it's easy to get frustrated at the people who are houseless and it's easy to get frustrated at the people who are in charge. Uh, but the frustration that is like currently brewing in the city isn't being used to like drive anything forward. It's being used to like create division and discord and like general misery. And I think it's a large part of the reason why like people are moving away. It's not that they can't handle the homelessness. It's they can't handle the fact that like their frustration has no productive outlet. They can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so on that note, what do we want out of this series? Well, for future episodes, uh, well, I'm glad you asked. For future episodes, we want to address the numerous causes of homelessness, what is and isn't working with the current response. And we also want to compare and contrast Portland's response with a handful of other cities. Um, I'm also hoping we can examine what we believe are the serious missteps with the proposed solutions and offer some of our own. Our aim is to help provide a better framework for navigating this conversation which the media has mostly not done well at, uh, we need to stop speaking past each other. Yeah, and um, as far as local government goes, we need to focus on supporting candidates who understand the issue holistically, not just constantly offering Band-Aid solutions, like sweeping, for example. 
And also, we need to have resources be allocated to the organizations who are actually going to help in this situation and give them the proper training they need to make it happen. We want to talk about accountability mechanisms for all involved. Homeless people, elected officials, nonprofits, everyone needs to be held accountable. I also want all of us to go in with, uh, to this conversation um, clear-eyed and level-headed with a reasonable understanding that Portland isn't going to quote-unquote fix, solve, or end homelessness single-handedly, simply, illegally, or overnight. The city has to work within the confines of the existing state and federal framework and the economic paradigm. There are going to be things we are going to be able to do and things we aren't going to be able to do as a city, and we're going to outline what those are and aren't. Yeah, think of it as kind of managing expectations in a way while also trying to move things forward. Exactly. Bradley, Jenna, where can the good people find us? Well, I'm perpetually online. You can find me there. I'm on the bird site at Bondi underscore Bradley. I remain in one of the last surviving lifeboats on the SS Twitter. You can find me there at Xavier D. Stickler. Uh, and Jenna. <laughs> um, you can, I'm sorry, I was just really enjoying um, that lifeboat analogy. Um, but you can find me on, uh, in the metaverse, I guess, on Instagram at JKMDEM, J-A-Y-K-A-Y-E-M-D-E-M. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can do so on PRP.FM, as well as Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also be able to find full-length videos with graphics and slides alongside our episodes on YouTube at the channel Greater Greater Portland. And finally, for just $2 a month, you can help us in our mission of making Portland a better place to live, as well as get access to exclusive written works. And of course, you can listen to us live and in stereo on 99.1 FM, Portland Radio Project, every second and third Sundays at 4 p.m. Thank you for listening. From the Rose City, this has been Greater Greater Portland. And really, it's no one thing. It's people... Try that again. <laughs> Evil baby. No. <laughs> Housing unaffordability and homelessness, like, are the same graph. Yep. Okay. How do we go back uh, What happened start? to the sick transition? <laughs> I didn't type one. Can someone Google what P2P meth is? Yeah, also, here. Pay-to-play meth. No, I'm kidding. That's not it. <laughs> Meth, but with microtransactions. Xavier, where are you? Oh, I'm on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing on the floor? <laughs> Dude, don't gavel your head. You need that. Are we sure? Pretty sure. <laughs>